0: Okay, we're, uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's <laughs> personal. We got a logo, too. We've been working on one for 18 years. And, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo, too.
1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Uh, Colby, um, I'm not sure I've seen a bigger turnaround through just a half of a football season as we've seen, but Oklahoma state keeps on rolling big win against Kansas. It was a a tight one, but it's remarkable where we sit today about to record this podcast versus where we were just a few weeks ago.
0: Bleep it. They're winning nine Carson. They figured it out. Ollie Gordon's a stud. They figured out how to get the ball to Brennan Presley, Rashad Owens my God, where did this guy come from? Um, we're winning nine. screw it. Why not? I mean, from four to nine, I don't know. I don't know what's happening in Stillwater. I don't know what September was, but I like October so, so, so much better. I just want to, I just want Oklahoma state football to exist in this state of October right now.
1: It looked like it shouldn't it look like they should shut the program down after the last, you know, the first two losses of the year. Uh, but no, it's it's a remarkable turnaround. We'll get into all the things that happened against Kansas and, and why things are so much different now. Uh, but 1st they they're from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. I, I'm sure it was packed up there on Saturday. Gorgeous weather. 230 kicks, about perfect. I know you're a big fan of the 230 kicks, so hopefully everybody swing, swung by Chris's. We appreciate them sponsoring the podcast as always. And if you're in Stillwater, and a lot more people are going to be now that this football season is off the respirator. Uh be sure to shop by Chris's. We appreciate them uh being with us every step of the way. So, Colby, coming in against Kansas, we had a lot of concerns. Uh, primarily, could they score in the red zone? Would they continue to feed Ollie Gordon? Would Alan Bowman continue to play pretty well at quarterback? And could they stop Kansas's vaunted rushing attack? And they're really I really like what they do offensively. But this was, this was the team that you and I, Colby, when we went through the schedule and we looked at their opponents and we looked at the talent that OSU had, me primarily thinking Ollie Gordon would be the focal point of the offense, I felt really, really stupid after their losses this year. I was like, man, was I just, was I just blind? Why did I think OSU had all of this talent? Well, they did, Colby. They were just on the sideline. And we're now seeing, Colby, the team that you and I went game by game with really, I thought, thought well-thought-out reason why they could win these games. We're now seeing it. And we can get into what happened earlier in the year, but this is the team you and I previewed during uh, during the preseason.
0: Carson, October – it's going to sound an awful lot like what August sounded like because in August we sat here and we're like, yeah, you need Alan Bowman in there. He's a veteran guy. He'll take care of the ball, quick passing game, get the ball in Brennan Presley's hands, make sure Ollie's getting about 20 touches a game. And this offense is going to be able to move the football. It's just, and and for whatever reason, and to Mike Gundy's credit, again, you, you don't get do-overs. This is big time college football. You're making $7.5 million. You don't get do-overs. But I do respect and appreciate when someone can just admit, hey, We were wrong. We were bad. And he said after the the Kansas game in South Alabama, we coached poorly and we played poorly. Our coaching was awful in that game. We didn't give our players a chance. We didn't even get them in the starting gate. And he actually said on Saturday night after the game that after the South Alabama game that he said we apologized as in the coaches apologized to the players is what he's implying there. He said, let's start over. Give us a chance, and we'll start to migrate in the direction we need to be on both sides of the ball, and that's what we've done. And look, to their credit, as bad as it was in September, that's something that's not easy to fix in season. It's not easy to get a bunch of 19, 20, 21-year-olds to buy in after it went that poorly to open the season they hear what is being said from the outside by me by you by everybody on the radio by the newspapers by the websites by everybody on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all over the place on campus they hear it and for the coaches to just basically pivot into a complete 180 which going into the bye week we all said me you everybody I talked to unless they just pretty much change everything that they're doing allow this team to have an identity and and just do something completely different there's no chance. And they've done that. They pivoted. They changed everything they were doing. And I'm just, I'm blown away that they were able to go out and win uh, against both Kansas State and Kansas. And I'll say this too, Carson, that home field advantage is very real. Stillwater is a tough place to win. I just, I cannot believe where we're at today versus where we were at going into the bye week.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about the crowd. Mike Gundy was glowing again in his praise he Said it's the toughest or it's the best the crowd's been since 1986 when he first arrived at Oklahoma State. And just think about all the great teams Oklahoma State's had over those years. I think that's pretty remarkable considering they lost at home to South Alabama, lost to Iowa State. Uh, I want to get into all that, but I think we must first, Colby, start with Ollie Gordon. And I'm going to try not to pat myself on the back too hard. I don't want to, like, throw my shoulder out.
0: No, dislocate it. Dislocate your shoulder, Carson. You were way ahead on this.
1: I was saying when he first set foot on campus by the end of the year, or that he would eventually become the starting running back. And it took a lot longer than it should have. He ended up, you know, playing really well the last game of the year against West Virginia. He's so much better than Dominic Richardson. It's not even funny. He is so unique, Colby. He is obviously very tall. We've we've I've talked about that side by side photo with him and him and Bowman but he doesn't run as if he's that tall. He is actually pretty shifty. He doesn't do flashy stutter steps, but that juke he put on the Kansas defender on that one play on, I guess on the screen was remarkable. He has a very, very uncommon combination of size, speed, vision, and a little maneuverability to, to avoid tackles. It's, it's egregious. That he's just now becoming the running back one. It should have happened last year. Definitely should have happened the beginning of this year. Cause it was on full display. Guys like him are not very common. And and I struggle with this because Mike Gundy has to manage personalities. He he said after the game that Ollie Gordon plays emotionally, but last year he he would get too emotional and he he wasn't as big of a help when he gets too emotional. I'm sorry you got to put your best players on the field, and this has been a common theme. I mean, I'm watching Tyreek Hill continue to be the greatest wide receiver in the NFL, maybe the best player overall in the NFL. Colby, he almost has 1,000 yards through six games, and better late than never, I guess, but Ollie Gordon has emerged, and you're seeing what this guy's capable of. The first running back to have 100 yards receiving and rushing since 1989 at Oklahoma State, Gerald Hudson. Uh, Colby, he got going early on the screen game and the passing game, but his – he is an unbelievable football player, and he really just took it to Kansas.
0: Yeah, I was shocked to hear the stat, by the way, that Oklahoma State had not had a back with uh, 100 rushing and 100 receiving in more than 30 years. So many good backs. Kendall Hunter, Joseph Randall. I mean, on some high-powered offenses, Chuba. I mean, Chuba in the 2,000-yard rushing season didn't have 100 yards receiving in any of those games where he was putting up a bunch uh, of rushing yards. I, I was really surprised by that statistic. But, Carson, 284. 284 is what Ollie had on saturday and i actually i didn't have a chance to watch the game until this morning so this is all fresh in my head i've got notes here he was unbelievable right out of the gate he had i think 67 yards on that opening drive and they, they figured kansas was going to come out aggressive first play out of the gate it's the slip screen 50 yards and then you get him out of the backfield for the 17 yard touchdown but great calls the by the way yeah great calls and and the the touchdown run that he has like a 40 yard touchdown run going back toward gallagher iba that was a great cut right there an acceleration to get through that hole the way that play was designed if he continues over left guard it's kind of just going to get stuffed for a one or two yard gain he puts his foot in the ground comes back sees the hole over right guard takes it the acceleration the stiff arm to the safety in the hole the last man he had to get out of the way and then he accelerates to the end zone um the one-handed catch late i mean i know it's just a little floater it wasn't a (laughs) missile that he reached up and plucked but still to bring that down not break stride Keep moving. You could tell he was gassed at that point, but he still goes out. I mean, that was probably another 25-30 yards right there on what ended up being the game winning drive. he's unbelievable. Um, and like you said, it it took way too long. And, you know, I I hate the the better late than never, but it really is where we're at with this Oklahoma State football team. The whole thing is better late than never. And it's fun to watch now. It's for as bad as September was and as down in the dumps as we were it's as optimistic as I am today. And I just, I simply cannot believe the turnaround. Uh, I don't apologize. I don't take back anything that I said in September. That's how I felt in the moment because that's what we were looking at in the moment. But as down as I was then, as, as up as I am now, as as critical as I was of the coaching staff then, is, is as much praise as I want to heap on them now because, um, again, they didn't get it right off the jump. They got it very wrong off the jump for this 2023 season. But with a week five bye week, They totally fixed it, and Carson, I'm looking at some bad teams coming up on this schedule, and it doesn't look the way it looked earlier. Cincinnati's a bad football team. Houston, BYU, these are bad football teams. Carson, this is a team that can win eight or nine games, and that's an absolutely insane thing to say out loud.
1: Are they the third best team in the Big 12? I mean, they're tied for third right now.
0: They might be. I don't know. They might (laughs) be this team. Do you believe we're
1: saying this on this podcast after what we witnessed?
0: but wipe September out. Watch them play Kansas State and Kansas. And no, <laughs> it's not perfect. You gave up a bunch of deep balls. We're going to talk about the defense. But where are the good teams in this conference at? Because I'm telling you what, Stillwater is a tough place to win. Texas Tech's not any good. You already beat Kansas State. TCU's had a massive drop off. Um, I just, there's no, not I a lot kind of good teams in this conference. Oklahoma State very well may be the third best team in the Big 12. I, I can't believe it, Carson. I, I, I'm i going to say that a hundred times today. I can't
1: believe it. No, I agree. And, and before I give it up to, to Mike Gunningstap, my, my shoulder's feeling real good. Uh, so I'm going to keep going here. How many times last year, or really, uh, mostly last year, when we would just harp on the running game, why can't they run the ball? Why can't they run the ball? Well, they can't block. What did I keep saying? Your running game, your running back specifically can make your running game. Just look at what Jalen Warren was able to do with that offensive line. And this is why I was so critical of not Ollie Gordon, not playing because you're right. He makes decisions with his vision that you don't have to block a gaping three yard wide hole for Ollie Gordon. You, you simply hold your man and let him go to work. And that's what he did time and time again. So when you're not having success offensively, as much as you look at scheme, you have to look at who you're putting in the game. And how Alan Bowman was not the quarterback, I just I still just don't understand. Uh playing Gunnar Gundy now looks completely like one of the worst cases of nepotism in college football we've seen. But playing Ollie Gordon at running back fixes a lot of issues because he has that vision that Jalen Warren would have where with the holes not there, you cut to the left, cut to the right, boom, he's off to the races. And so, yes. I will say this, as bad as it was, I give Mike Gundy a ton of credit for just calling a spade a spade and said, we did a bad job because they did. And I think it's fair to say, Colby, that Mike Gundy has gotten the absolute best out of his team two straight weeks. And that is not easy to do when you lose two games early in the year like that. Guys get down. And he obviously realized what needed to be done. And that's playing Ollie Gordon, a ton of snaps, giving him the ball. And playing Alan Bowman because those two guys were were, were lights out. And I, I, I want to give credit too, also to to Casey Dunn, Colby. Because you mentioned the screen pass off the jump. He he knew that was coming. It was a great call. And they really helped resolve their red zone issues. Not not all of them, obviously, with all the field goal attempts, but getting Brennan Presley in space in creative ways, that how about that flea flicker that Presley throws back to Bowman? He kind of waits and waits and waits and then slips out for the touchdown. Like OSU's offense used to be th- fun. Like it's fun again. Like this is what Oklahoma State is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be these walk-on, bulky fullbacks bogging everything down and running off tackle. That's that's what's gotten them into this quagmire the last three years. It's that. It's using your speedsters at receiver in creative, imaginative, fun ways. And the re- the result was, Colby, they scored thirty. They got to thirty for the first time in really a calendar year. So I do want to give credit to Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy for figuring it out because it's easier said than done. A huge step's playing the right guys, but they're also running some great schemes as well.
0: Coming into the season, we were thinking Ollie Gordon and Brennan Presley needed to combine for what? 25, 30 touches, somewhere in that neighborhood. Do yeah. you know what the combined number of touches was on Saturday? Do you know what the number was for Brennan and Ollie? Uh 35? That's how many Ollie had. It was 44, 35 <laughs> okay. for Ollie, nine for Brendan. It's not a coincidence that these guys touched the ball a combined 44 times and your offense has some explosiveness and you score 39 points. That is not a coincidence. The flea flicker that you mentioned, Bowman's first read was to go deep. That was covered up. They were on Rashad Owens. Good, good defense on the back end from Kansas. He dumps out to Brendan in the flat as he leaks out. They showed the overhead on TV. I'm watching it this morning and, and watching it already knowing the result. You're not watching it emotionally, so I'm watching it more analytically. Brendan catches this ball and He's at the 20 yard line. There are two Kansas Jayhawks just directly between him and the end zone at the 10, but they're both running toward the sideline. He just plants, cuts inside both of them, and he's into the end zone. You look at the overhead, just a screen, just a still picture, and you could post that on Twitter and say, Ollie uh pardon me, Brennan Presley scored here and was barely touched. That's what electric playmakers do in the open field. And for Ollie and, and Brennan to touch the ball combined 44 times, that makes the offense go. And Carson, I want to give another guy a ton of credit. I do not want him to fly under the radar even a little bit. When I got to the stadium last week and I found out that Dejon Stribling was out for the season with that wrist injury going into the Kansas State game. And, and again, this is after what happened in September, the bye week. We, we, we want to feel good, but there's nothing to feel good about. So I'm sitting here thinking, oh, no, now Stribling's out. This offense is cooked. Rashad Owens has been around for a long time and he has kept himself ready and no drops. He had nine catches for 112 yards on Saturday, a couple of big third catches on third down. He was, he's just, he's a big receiver. He's hard to deal with physically. He and Allen Bowman clearly have a great connection. I do not want him to get lost in the weeds because nine for 112 out of a guy who nobody would have considered a, a starting caliber X receiver at the start of the season. I mean, Jaden Bray's down there with one for four and Rashad Owens has nine for 112 tip of the hat to that guy for staying ready uh after 4 years in Stillwater with very little run. Yep,
1: you know, he's a 4th year junior. Um and I think he's a great example, you know, nowadays with the transfer portal you don't play you leave. And we've seen a lot of guys who who transfer and go to lesser schools or, you know, equal or better schools and it, they don't they don't really get much out of it they don't get much production they don't get much playing time and it just doesn't work out sometimes the best move is to stay put and wait your turn and Rashad Owens is just a shining example of that not only that he's changed positions they put him at cowboy back last year uh, gained a lot of weight with that but he's a great example Colby of sticking it out at a place that you believe in a place that you think you can make an impact at and you need guys like him And I'm with you. When when I found out Shribling was out, I was like, well, this season's just completely done because he was their most consistent receiver and, you know, obviously best playmaker at receiver besides Brennan Presley. But no, he he has really stepped up and really kind of, I don't know, elevated what this offense can be because you're not just sitting over there, you know, I I keep going back to the year when they lost Dez. I mean, Hubert Aniam did a great job stepping up to be the number one guy, but they didn't have much else. And that's a testament to recruiting and keeping guys on campus because they lost the guys in the a bunch of guys in the portal, Colby, but keeping Rashad Owens now has proven to be pivotal.
0: Yeah, big time. And and by the way, we talk a lot about the fact that in modern college football now, you have to recruit your own players, right? You have to recruit your own players to keep them coming back. Rashad Owens He is now a recruiting piece for Mike Gundy because he can look at these other guys, young guys who haven't seen the field yet, who are grinding away every day and aren't getting the opportunities yet. And he can say, look at Rashad, look at what this guy's done. He's a Gundy guy, right? Four years showing up every day, putting the work in and your name's not getting called and you're not in the box score and and people aren't talking about you and you're not the guy making the play. You're not the guy hearing 60,000 people go crazy but you stick it out, you put in the work, and eventually it is your turn. That's a recruiting piece for Mike Gundy. Um, so major, major credit to Rashad Owens because, yes, Ollie Gordon, superstar on Saturday. Brennan Presley, he was unbelievable. But there's a guy out there on the edge, 9 for 112, that did a lot of dirty work moving the ball down the field with, with little eight-yard outs and then turning, getting up the field, just doing a lot of things right for Alan Bowman to, uh, to create some more space for Ollie Gordon and Brendan Presley. So, um, just so, so so much praise uh, being heaped these guys away for what they accomplished on Saturday, the last two weeks, uh, coaches and players. It, it's all around been pretty impressive.
1: What do you think of Alan Bowman? Are, are we – can we finally – I thought we stopped the well, – we did, you and I did, but, you know, we know Alan Bowman's the quarterback, obviously, but I think he really put the nail in that coffin with his performance. I mean, 336 yards – I think he completed about 60% of his balls. He looked like the guy we saw at Texas Tech. It was his highest total uh, passing since doing that to Oklahoma State, throwing for more than 300 yards. Uh, I think he's really – I said it last week. Like, you don't need Alan Bowman to be Patrick Mahomes. You need him to run a functional offense. And I thought he ran more than that. I thought they were explosive in the passing game. And he really did a good job, I think, checking down to Ollie Gordon. I mean, obviously some of those were designed, but – he he really has some nice touch on those little dump offs, and I thought he just had command of the offense. You can see him really growing into that role. You mentioned that it's clear he has chemistry with Rashad Owens. They must have had they must have developed that over the course of of uh, practices throughout fall camp because he looks his way a lot, and rightfully so. But I, it's okay. Let's just get into it. So I know you and I don't want to harp on the past too much, uh, and I. Gave Mike Gundy credit for, you know, the coaching job he's done the last two weeks. My dad sent me a text during the game. Tell, tell me if you agree with this. I put it out on Twitter. My dad's kind of become a running character on Twitter, Some with his texts. It's criminal what Gundy did with QB1 and RB1 on our first four games. If Bowman and Gordon had been RB1 and QB1 since season open, we would be 6-0 right now. Fair? Unfair?
0: Carson, it's all we were talking about at the golf course this weekend. I was out there all weekend for the big tournament. A lot of OSU fans were watching the game on Saturday. And the amount of people that were like, why didn't they do this from the start? This team could be 6-0. and This could be a top 10, top 15 team in the country. That, that's been the conversation. That is fair. Um, and again, as as much credit as we're giving them, that is part of the story of this season is that even if it turns into a really solid eight-win year, did you spoil what could have been a really special 10 or 11 win season by not figuring it, not figuring it out in August and September. Um, it's a, what if that, that we'll never know. We, we can't go back in time, but yeah, this team looks really good. And I just have to imagine that this team would have beaten a bad South Alabama team and would have beaten a bad Iowa state team. If this is how it would have looked um, fr- from, from the first snap of the season. But again, we can't go back in time. So yeah, um, all we can do is dwell on the past and enjoy the present.
1: Yeah, and and this is kind of the popular uh, theory here. From I, I put out for Twitter questions, Brad Ross says his non-conference theory is Gundy did the three quarterback carousel to keep all of them here, and because he thought he could win all three non-conference games anyway. He rotated running backs early on to save Ali Gordon's health because he knew they'd lean on him heavily as the year went on. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. I I can certainly see. The excuse of the carousel being, you don't want guys to leave. But if you're comfortable enough playing Gunner Gundy with the game on the line for more than a half of a game against South Alabama and losing, I don't think you should be worrying about guys transferring personally. But my my theory, Colby, is my Gundy got overconfident. He thought I can do this three quarterback system. I can save Ollie, and we're still gonna win. All you had to do was listen to the players in their interviews. They they referenced the non-conference as kind of preseason. That was the word that was kind of thrown around a lot. And I just think it bit them hard. I mean, the the notion that they could just roll their helmet out there and beat teams, it, it bit them. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Playing Gunner Gundy more than a half against South Alabama when they could barely cross the 50-yard line is up there with the worst coaching decisions Mike Gundy's ever made. It, it looks worse every single week we watch Alan Bowman play. And especially when you consider Garrett Rangel never really got a fair shake uh, with his rotations, it's Mike Gundy has to wear that. It, it I think he deserves far more criticism for nepotism for how that game played out and his decision there when you watch what Alan Bowman's been able to do at quarterback. He let his team down. He let the fan base down with that decision. It's over and done with, but the criticism has to be pointed out of his decision at quarterback because it costs them dearly. And I'm glad that they're now playing the right quarterback. Uh, I'm glad they're now playing the right running back. But but we have to make note of that. That was it was, <laughs> I was freaking out in the Arizona State game that they were playing Gunnar Gundy with the game on the line. And then he goes and he he deviates from his four series rotation for him. So they lost games. It's over with. They're now playing great. They're now tied for third in the Big 12. It's it looks great right now, but it could look so much better if they just played the right guys.
0: Yeah. And, and to the initial question, um, you know, are you rotating quarterbacks to get guys to stay? And then are you trying to preserve Ollie's health? I can get behind the idea that maybe they were trying to preserve Ollie's health. I don't think they were rotating quarterbacks because they wanted guys to stay. I think they were rotating quarterbacks because they couldn't make a decision. And I mean, Mike Gundy talked about it in his pressers in September. W- which of those three kids do you want me to tell that they can't play? Well, I don't know. The two that aren't as good. I mean, that's your that's your job, right? You're the head coach. That's what you've got to do. You you've got to be the one that to look a 19 and a 20-year-old um in his eyes and say, hey, you're gonna be on the sidelines this Saturday. You're gonna be wearing a headset. That's part of it. And uh that didn't happen in September. Alan Bowman has been really good. Um, I, I do think that Oklahoma State, look, things are great right now. Don't want to to dampen anybody's parade even a little bit. But there was some pretty significant turnover luck in this game that went Oklahoma State's way. Um Alan Bowman did throw what was just a trademarked pick six whenever Oklahoma State was up 14-7, 17-7, something like that maybe. I mean, Oklahoma State was in the red zone. Alan Bowman throws it out on the corner. Corner jumps it, hits him right between the hands. He's gone, and he just flat-out drops it. So that was a big one. Um, Also, you had fumble luck on a kickoff. Middle of the second quarter, Elijah Collins fumbles on a kickoff. It bounces right to Jaden Nixon. You get some fumble luck there. There was another ball in the second half uh, where Bowman threw it over the middle. There were two defenders there could have been picked off. So um, Colin Oliver fourth and five was the offsides. It was very close. That call goes your way. If it doesn't go your way um, instead of you taking over at midfield, they've now got it first and 10 at your 40 yard line. So there were a handful of, of, kind of turnover luck plays in this game that went Oklahoma State's way. So, uh it was a great performance, but I, I do think that there are still some things that need to cleaned up because Kansas gave you uh a few gifts in this one, dropped a couple interceptions. Um the refs, you know. I honestly Carson, I watched it 10 times trying to figure out if Colin Oliver was offsides. I I think he might have just timed the snap perfectly or maybe he was a foot offsides. I don't know, you get the benefit of the doubt there. What did, what did you think? Did you think he was offsides?
1: I didn't think he was. I think it's one of those deals where he moves early. And it's one of those situations when he moves that early before the ball snapped. It optically it just you just assume he's off sides. But if you if you watch the play, he's behind the forty looks like to me the you know, the spot of the ball. His helmet's behind the forty when the ball moves. So I, I don't think and if it's that close you have to be certain he's off sides to throw the flag. And I don't think there's any way to be certain in, in real time that he was. I, I don't think he was offsides, And I I don't think it was this egregious non-call that, that Lance Leopold's trying to make it out to be. No, I don't.
0: Yeah. Now I live, I thought he was offsides, but then as I watched the replay, I'm like, okay, I think my eyes were deceiving me because he definitely moved early, but he wasn't lined up like with his helmet on the ball. He was lined up a little bit off the ball. So when he moved early, it gave him that extra. I mean, I think it was just like a 10th of a second that he needed to not be offsides. And and Carson, we can flip to the defense if you want to and talk about some of the big plays. But while we're talking about Colin Oliver, let's talk about Colin Oliver because true freshman, superstar makes the play against Caleb Williams, sky is the limit. Year two, what happened to Colin Oliver? Why is he not a playmaker on this defense? Year three, Colin Oliver is figuring it out, and Brian Nardo is figuring out how to use him. He has officially become a big-time playmaker again for this Oklahoma State defense, And, and getting beat on the back end time after time, that's a big, big problem. But optimistic in terms of moving forward for the rest of the season, these final six games, Colin Oliver's a playmaker again, and that is huge for this defense.
1: Yeah, and I think for whatever reason, they've kind of limited what he's best at. And that is just saying, Colin, there's the quarterback, go get him. And Mike Gundy was quoted after the game saying that's basically one of the adjustments he made was like, let's just turn him loose. And that's exactly what happened. And I think sometimes when new defensive coordinators come in, they want to just install their defense no matter what, no matter you know who they have on their defensive side. Uh, style-wise and w- what their best ability is. And sometimes that can hinder guys like Colin Oliver. Like He is a pass-rushing phenom. And he finished Saturday with seven tackles, two and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and a pair of pass breakups. Like He's a difference maker. And much like Ollie Gordon, you have to get him on the field. And on, I know on defense, you don't put the ball in his hands in theory, but you put that play in his hands by letting him go make an impact. And they've they've figured it out. I think Brian Nardo's made really great adjustments with that. And so I think he's been unleashed, and that's that's only going to help this defense. And I think it was a necessity. That's another person we talked about in the preseason. Like, what's he going to look like in this defense? Because he didn't play, you know, a full share of snaps last year. It was maddening at times how little he was on the field. But I think they have finally figured out the best ways to to get him free and going after the quarterback because they, they simply do not win this game without him getting after uh, Jason Bean.
0: Yeah, and he just has a knack for the big moment. If it's fourth down in the fourth quarter and you need to stop, he's just kind of your guy. I mean, what he was doing as a freshman, and then on Saturday against Kansas, it's the fourth and five. He times the snap exactly perfectly, gets back there, knocks the ball loose one of the biggest plays of the game Kansas has a chance to go down and ice that thing if they pick up that fourth down he gets the stop right there and then when Kansas gets the ball back down 39 32 he sinks into coverage a little bit reads Jason being perfectly jumps up deflects it nearly gets an interception three yards from the line of scrimmage and then on the fourth and one play that effectively ended the game um he's he's standing there on the edge and he doesn't just put his head down in bull rush and, and go crazy. He understands, okay, this is a quick run to the inside, or they might try to come out to Fairchild on that little quick out. It's exactly what they did. And Colin Oliver was standing there, jumped up in the air, and was able to get a hand on it. So um, he, he's doing a great job. Um, Kendall Daniels got a nice interception whenever Kansas was driving. like There were some big swing plays in this game that went Oklahoma State's way. And from the time that Kansas went up, um, I think they went did they go up 32 20 three, 25 the, the points. Yeah. The, the scoring in this game threw me off and got weird. Um, yeah. Kansas scored 18 points in the second quarter. Oklahoma state scored 12 points in the fourth quarter. How you like those numbers? Um, but yeah, there were just big swing plays in this game that went Oklahoma state's way late. Um, and the defense was able to get a bunch of stops only gave up seven points in the second half. Carson, um, the big plays are a problem, but they held up when
1: they needed to. Yeah, let's go back to the defense here and say I wanted to wrap up offense too. The the red zone issues still are persistent. And one last note too, you mentioned on the um the quarterbacks, how you got to pick one. And I think that's part of coaching. Like you're clear if if there is no separation amongst three quarterbacks, that's on you to do a better job to create separation. To what you're doing in practice isn't enough to separate them. You got to do something else. <laughs> you got to really hammer that down and figure it out. But the red zone issues, Colby, I thought they were better with, you know, the use of Presley was great on that touchdown, you know, kind of toss, run, whatever you want to call it. But Mike Gundy chose to kick a lot of field goals in this game. And as it usually does for Mike Gundy, that that decision worked out. And Colby, I think you're starting to see it go to, way too far the other way. Did you watch any of the Oregon-Washington game? I know it was –
0: no, again, going I was on the same course time. all day. I, I didn't get a chance to watch the Oklahoma State game until this morning. But um, yeah, sometimes like if it's not fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and inches, sometimes three points is okay. I Again, I don't like kicking on fourth and one or less, but if you got to pick up four yards, three points matters.
1: Yeah, and especially with the, the issues OSU's had in short yard situations. But I mentioned the Oregon-Washington game because Oregon's coach Dan Lanning basically lost the – lost Oregon the game with his fourth-down decisions. He's one of those guys, Colby, that goes for it seemingly no matter what. They had some longer fourth-downs in the red zone that they went for it and didn't get, and lo and behold, they they lose a really close game. And I think you go back to Chris Kleiman going for it on his own, what, like 30 uh, deep in his own territory. Like it, We're starting to see now the analytics crowd kind of prove Mike Gundy right in a lot of ways by being too aggressive and costing their team games because, I mean, you don't need, you only get a certain amount of possessions, Colby. And if you come up empty twice instead of kicking field goal twice, you know you're you're going to lose some games. And so while uh, while Mike is probably on the more conservative, no, definitely is on the more conservative side, uh, I've kind of gone. I think it's gone a little too haywire the other direction for teams around the country because, I mean, those decisions ended up winning the game for Oklahoma State.
0: Yeah, and people who have listened know that I'm I I want to be aggressive on fourth down, but I think there's an art to it. And I think that there's some nuance that has to, to be involved um, because there's situational football that comes into it, right? How much time is on the clock? Um, what What's the score? How much are you trusting your offense and your defense right now? If you don't get this, or are you comfortable that you can get a stop? Are you confident in your offense to go get the yard that there's the, the numbers and the analytics, but there is a, a very real, football side to it and where I think Mike Gundy sometimes airs too much on the conservative side sometimes he absolutely makes the right decision and he runs Alex Hale out when he needs to we had a rare rare miss by Alex Hale in this game he comes in redeems himself at the end um, but points are so valuable especially Mike Gundy talked about earlier this year this team doesn't have the margin for error that we've had in the past how big are the two extra points that Kansas botches they, they fall start on one and then Oklahoma State blocks the ensuing extra point to keep them at 13 instead of 14. Then they fumble the snap on the next extra point. You think there's a difference in Oklahoma State coming down the field, trailing by two instead of trailing by four in the fourth quarter. That's a massive <laughs> difference. The pressure to score that touchdown. Instead, Oklahoma State gets inside the 30. You know you're going to take the lead. I mean, the lead's yours. Just don't turn the ball over. You've got the lead. These points matter. Um, And Mike Gundy, he, he makes a lot of Right decisions when when he makes a wrong one, I think it's kind of glaring like last year in Bedlam punting down four touchdown downs or something like that on fourth and one. Stuff like that. It's like, okay, what are you doing? But he also makes a lot of right decisions by putting points on the board uh that end up mattering in the fourth quarter. So yeah, there's uh there's a lot of praise being heaped right now and it's it's deserved. This football team uh is is totally different than it was a couple of weeks ago, and there's definitely a case to be made that they're the third best team in the conference.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, where was I going next? Um, okay, yeah. Just one last note on offense. We'll go to defense. You know, the the touchdown that Brennan Presley scored on kind of the end around toss, whatever you want to call that handoff. Um, I think this is what their red zone offense needs to be. Like, let's say Colby, for instance, they're inside the five, needing to score a touchdown. I think this is now your base where it kind of becomes. Not a triple option situation, but you you kind of become an option football team. So instead of this, you know, 13-man personnel with a bunch of tight ends and fullbacks on the field and just we're going to try and get a tough yard, I think you have to, no matter what, put Brennan Presley in motion. And if you're going to hand it off to Ollie Gordon, great. But it really will keep the defense on their heels a little bit because they they do tend to get a little predictable or a lot predictable when they're in the red zone when they get in big sets and big formations. I don't care if you're on the 1-yard line, Colby. I'm spreading them out and I'm running Presley all over the place and I'm handing it off to Ollie Gordon or heck just keeping it keeping it to Presley. But I think they've that's a great way and something I've always been asking for where if you want to hand it off to Ollie Gordon, that's that's great. I'm with that. But you have to make the defense think about something else as well. So I know they had some struggles, but I think they really have realized that that can be a weapon even if you don't get Brennan Presley the ball.
0: Carson, you are talking my language. Get down inside the 10-yard line. Brennan Presley's on motion in every play, whether you're faking it to him, whether you're giving it to him, whether he's just there as a decoy. I want the defense, every time when you're inside the 10-yard line, I want those linebackers and those guys on the edge thinking about, okay, what happens here if AD gets it? That's what I want them thinking about as he's coming in motion. And then if you go away from that, all right, now they're adjusting, they're looking around, they're making it happen. I, I still think that Alan Bowman, uh, in the inside the 10-yard line gets a little happy feet. And uh he made a couple of questionable throws, I would say, inside the 10. He, he threw the pick on the two-point conversion attempt. Uh, there was one where where Brennan was kind of down by the official, uh, I think before they kicked he ended up kicking a field goal, uh, a short field goal on that one from Alex Hale off the left hash there, but where he just like kind of leans back and looks like he's a little hesitant and throws it over Brennan's head in the end zone. I still think he's not quite comfortable inside the 10, so I think you need to do more um, horizontal stuff with Brennan Presley uh, and Ollie Gordon and, and try to do as much as you can to take as much off Alan Bowman's plate inside the 10-yard line by confusing the defense and getting guys out on the edge. So, uh, I thought that they were better in this game. I I think that you're going to need to continue to improve there. Again, I'm looking ahead to November 4th and thinking, okay, from Saturday, what needs to be better if you're going to beat that team, uh, that resides down South on I-35. So you're gonna have to clean some things up. And I think inside the 10 yard line is one of them because, uh, turnovers down there, putting the ball in harm's way, that stuff can't happen. So I, I like keeping it pretty simple with Brendan and Ali down there.
1: Yeah, I like that too. You mentioned the defense. Uh, obviously, they made a ton of plays. Got some turnover luck that you mentioned. Kendall Daniels just looks different. <laughs> I mean, how many, when he had that pick and we were watching the replay, I was like, I, I just kind of asked the group I was with over at my house. I was like, when has OSU had a safety to look like that? <laughs> I mean, just the way he went up and high pointed the ball and just just the physicality he has. Like Kendall Daniels, man, he's he's a stud. But you mentioned the kind of the bugaboo this year with the defense has been just the complete bus in coverage. And I I think what we're seeing here too, Colby is remember all those bend, but don't break defenses from bill young, the, you know, giving up third and longs, fine. As long as we make them go all the way down the field slowly, that was kind of a frustrating, slow death. I think this is the break, break defense. They either break or they break the offense with a turnover. And you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. So, uh, while they didn't have things short up in coverage, what really won this game was the way they were able to limit Kansas's running game. I mean, they were one of the best running games in the country. They held them to 90 yards rushing. That, that to me, was the difference in the game.
0: Yeah, I don't want to say clearly that was a point of emphasis. We're going to sell out, stop the run. If you're going to beat us over our heads, beat us over our heads. And that's exactly what happened. And, and in the macro, as a strategy against a great running football team that wants to beat you on the ground, I'm fine with that. There were some individual decisions throughout the game and some mistakes that I think can get you beat whenever you play better teams. Um, The the first touchdown up the seam, the play before that, whenever they got Fairchild up the seam, the play before that, uh, maybe two plays before that, was a third and 13 where you're just, you're simply too far off a receiver. He runs a 15 yard out for an easy first down on third and 13, two plays later, they get a guy up the seam for an easy touchdown. I mean, that's a little sequence right there they they can lose you a game. Um, one of the deep balls, I think it was the one that he threw to Arnold uh, up the left side into the end zone. No, maybe it wasn't Arnold. Maybe it was uh, to Skinner. Maybe I think up that left side. You you've got eight in coverage there, so you rush three. Nobody gets there. Super clean pocket, and you don't have anybody over the top. I mean, Trey Rucker just gets run by right by, and we got a guy wide open in the end zone. If you're rushing three. How do you not have a, a, a top on the defense where guys can't get behind? Maybe that's just an individual mistake there uh, by Rucker, who played a pretty good game and was good close to the line of scrimmage in the run game. But um, and, and then to get beat on the same seam play on consecutive possessions, those things hurt, man. And November 4th, those things are going to get you beat. So th- this was a good performance. There are still things need cleaned up. I I think that they're rushing three a little bit too often, allowing quarterbacks to be a little bit too comfortable back there because you've got all freshmen on the back end. So you're rushing three and you've still got guys busting wide open in the back. I I don't know. Bring four, bring five, Make make quarterbacks uncomfortable and don't force your freshmen to be in coverage for so long on the back end. So um, I, I would say a little bit more pressure from Brian Nardo. I think that that's what we all loved about Jim Knowles. He knew exactly when to dial it up, and he dialed it up quite a bit. So I hope to see a little bit more of that in the second half of the season because I think that maybe some more pressure being generated could help your freshmen on the back end as well.
1: Yeah, Nardo said everything that happened to us in the first half, that was negative, self-inflicted in our opinion. It wasn't anything that we needed to panic about. Every adjustment we tried to make, our kids knew it. We can cover these guys. We can do what we need to do. We just got to come out and be ourselves in the second half. And uh, I think Nardo's had good adjustments. Uh, I mean, th- that second half was so much better. And I think we're starting to see him really find his footing in terms of what adjustments need to be made. and How to limit the big plays because, you know, they shut him out in the second half or uh, I'm sorry, the fourth quarter. And um I just think that he's really finding his footing. And now, obviously, the bus, I think I thought Trey Rucker had a really, really rough game. Uh, in coverage, and you know, combined with his off the field issue, I, I wouldn't mind seeing someone else back there. In terms of, you can't keep giving up plays like that and expect to keep winning. So that that was a huge issue. But again, I just thought the way they were able to limit the running game was was massive. And Jason Bean had his moments. I mean, he's a good, he's one of the better backup quarterbacks you'll see. Uh, but they really got to him in the fourth quarter and uh, really really played well overall. I mean, it's kind of similar to what we've seen this year, Colby, where they. They take some punches in the first half, and by the fourth quarter, they've got them pretty much figured out. And I think that's a sign of great coaching. And I, again, I continue to, while it's not been perfect. I continue to be pretty impressed with with Brian Ardo, the way he's getting the best now out of Colin Oliver, uh, the way they were able to limit the running game, and the fact they're forcing takeaways. That was a big issue last year. So I, overall, I think you know facing and again I I, I like Kansas' offensive coordinator. They they were doing some good stuff. Uh, there was some questionable stuff that Mike Gundy pointed out about the the eligible tight end. I guess they were kind of masking who was eligible. Mike Gundy had an issue for that, but maybe he'll write that uh, on his big chief notepad and, and steal some plays.
0: Yeah, you need to be stealing that play. And he even said um, after the game, he's like, you know, if other teams are going to do it, we're going to do it. Yeah, exploit that. If that's a rule where you can hide your eligible man, do it. Hide your eligible man. Um, yeah, I think Trey Rucker has been better closer to the line of scrimmage Big hitter. He had did one hit where he blew a guy up on a screen. Uh, I think it was Fairchild, and he and he put him down pretty good. He has struggled in coverage on the back end. So in, in the macro, yeah, yeah, there are there are decisions that I will nitpick uh, from what happened on Saturday defensively. But big picture, I I think these last couple of weeks we've seen some really good things from Oklahoma State defensively, uh, and that's on the heels of what were just two disaster performances really against South Alabama and against Iowa State uh, where Rocco Beck looked like Tom Brady in his prime. So uh, for the defense to turn around, yes, the big breakdowns are a problem, but if that's all you're giving up, it's not like they were giving up big plays and then on the drives when they weren't giving up big plays, you're giving up long touchdown drives. It was either lock them down or big play over the top for a touchdown, start to limit that stuff and still be good um, inside – you know, that that kind of 10-yard window where the offense is starting at, then I think that this defense will be fine moving forward. So I'm um, not nearly as panicked as I was coming out of Iowa State heading into the bye on that side of the ball.
1: And I think Nardo's proven that he's not afraid to play some young guys. Uh, redshirt freshman defensive end Deshaun Brown tipped a pass that uh, true freshman Dylan Smith uh, picked off. So they're, there's a little bit of a youth movement going on, too. They're not afraid to throw some young guys out there. And I thought they really, really stepped up big time on those, those turnovers as well. So uh, anything else from the defense stand out to you? Before we move on, uh, I mean that
0: that pick by uh, was it Smith? You said there in the second half. I, yeah. I was watching it. I was watching it, and I'm like, "What? Who?" Walter tried to tip it. I'm like, "Who is 11?" It, that's he looks like a small linebacker. I'm like, "Who is this kid?" Uh, and I went, "Look, sure enough, true freshman." So yeah, that was a a great play and good for him for getting out there and making the most of it.
1: Yep, he's the younger brother of Cam Smith, the other cornerback on the team. So they got some some brothers on the team, and they're going to need people to step up with you know Lyric Rawls. Loss for the year of the torn ACL. So they're in addition to playing well, they're getting young guys on the field, which is which is always encouraging. Okay, uh let's get to where do you want to go next? Uniform review or you want to do some of our toast of the week?
0: Uh let's do uniform review. I was close. Orange, orange, white. I thought it was gonna be white, orange, white. Uh, I forget what yours was. Did you you had the tricolor, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I didn't do the tricolor. I, I should have thought better of it. With you know the Terry Miller honoring, they they of course were going to wear more of a you know a traditional set that he wore. So they went with the orange, orange, white. But uh, I think that's a new helmet with the white brand and the the stripes. I could be wrong, though. But I think it's a new helmet.
0: Yeah, it did look new. It looked pretty slick. Um, I still like. I like the helmet and the pants to match for me symmetry wise. I just think that that is most suitable to my eye, but I again, I think they look great.
1: It's just it's hard to get the helmet to match the jersey when it comes to orange. It just doesn't it doesn't quite match. Like I'm looking at some stills right now The the jerseys more OSU orange and the helmet's more of a Cleveland Browns kind of a reddish orange. It's just it, it just it's hard to match up, kind of like the white used to be sometimes but um overall i thought it was a a fine look but i'd like to see him experiment a little more but hey you got to respect the olds go old school with the orange orange white i didn't hate it i thought it looked pretty sharp
0: yep it looked good uh toast the week you want to lead us off
1: yeah had a great weekend at my house Uh, thanks to todd robishow and capital uh distribute distributing uh for uh getting me some yank my hands on some yingling was able to entertain some folks It's my wife's birthday over the weekend so we had a bunch of people over and uh it was a pretty popular Colby. The, uh, the golden one was, was a really popular one. The flight is a kind of a very light refreshing beer that would be good on the golf course. That was great. And it's hard to deviate too from just the traditional yingling lager. That's their bread and butter. So we had a little bit of mix of all three of those and I'm looking forward to eventually they were, they were out of the October fest. So I didn't get to try the October fest, but we uh, had a lot of people over who enjoyed some yingling products. So we appreciate yingling sponsoring the podcast. You can get it on cue or your local gas stations now. So be sure to swing by and get some Yingling. It was it was fantastic and really helped wash down a, a an OSU win. It felt like we had OSU football back, Colby, and thanks to Yingling, it felt like we had football OSU football back, and it felt like we had uh, a great time as well. So, who's your toast of the week this week?
0: Toast of the week. I talked about him earlier, and I just
1: want to continue to give him credit. Uh, you could easily give your toast of
0: the week to Bowman, Ollie Gordon, who was a superstar, uh, and 284 yards on 35 touches, two touchdowns. Yeah, maybe he deserves it, but. I just have so much respect for what Rashad Owens has done at Oklahoma State. He's just been a grinder for four years years he's occasionally gotten on the field he's tried to make the most of his opportunities but he's just been buried down the depth chart a little bit by guys who are a little more highly recruited who who have done just enough to to keep their spots and play over him but he's a big bodied receiver he's got good hands he, he's been showing them off these last couple of weeks contested catches he's good on the outside on the little comeback routes he had a 40 yard catch uh on saturday and I, I just in modern college football, I do think that you have to cater to all the kids that are going to transfer if they don't get playing time and all this stuff, because that's modern college football. But when you get a guy like a Rashad Owens, it's it's more of a diamond in the rough than ever before. And to stick around for four years, put all the work in uh, and have this be waiting on the other side of it, where he is clearly now your, your number one X receiver on the outside. I, I just couldn't be happier for a guy who has clearly put in so, so much work. To get to that place, so all the respect to Rashad Owens. He gets my Yingling Toast of the Week.
1: That's a great one. And speaking of transferring, OSU is so fortunate that Ollie Gordon did not enter in his transfer portal. Uh, he could have. Uh, a lot of teams would have wanted him. Credit to OSU for putting together an NIL deal to keep him because he is a flat-out difference maker. And I, I can't recall a player with his skill set. I don't recall OSU having a bigger back like him that can catch the ball out of the backfield, that can make all the cuts, has the vision, uh, the the speed, and when he gets top top gear, he can he can lead people. And he's just a special football player. And good things happen when you get him the football, as we're now seeing. And so I want to give a big toast to Ollie Gordon because he's helping reshape what this season can be by. Being the player that he is, seems like a great team guy. Uh, gives a lot of credit to his teammates as well. Seems to have a good head on his shoulders. But um, re- recruiting matters, Colby. Like you just go through the years of some of the best players that OSU's had, a lot yeah. of them were four star players. Tylen Wallace comes to mind. Spencer Sanders comes to mind in more recent examples. Des Bryant comes to mind. And sure, Oklahoma State does a great job of evaluating players because they always have talent on offense. But the real, true alphas, the real, true difference makers, you get those out of recruiting. And I think it's a credit, too, to Mike Gunning and his staff. They identified Ollie Gordon before his recruiting really blew up. They stemmed the tide on Texas coming after him. And so I I will give them credit for that. And that's just put another data point into recruiting matters, and this is why we are so hard on Mike's recruiting, because you get some Ollie Gordons on defense, like a Kendall Daniels, another example, four-star, committed A&M. Uh, Oklahoma wanted him like that wins football games and now Ollie Gordon's doing the same
0: uh yeah I think uh, I don't know if you mentioned Tyler. I think Tyler was a four-star as well Tyler and Wallace just, yeah and that's just uh, again peak peak performer at Oklahoma State let me throw a little comp out at you at Oklahoma State running back for Ollie Gordon uh I googled it Ollie's listed at 6'1 to he seems taller than that whenever he's out there but he's listed at 6'1 211 talk about the, the rushing and the receiving the combination and being the workhorse Joseph Randall was listed at six foot 210 I just googled it six foot 210 I I can see some comparables between Ollie and Joseph Randall I don't think it's a direct apples to apples but I don't know that I'm finding a closer comparison in the last probably I don't know 20 years of Oklahoma State running backs what do you think about that comp
1: uh they were so different I, was he really six feet tall
0: uh yeah Joseph Randall six foot 210.
1: That's what that's he's a, listed. That's a pretty good one because he was a, you know, Joseph Randall had the best hands on the team. Uh, that's what Whedon and those guys will tell you. But uh, that's a good one. Um, how tall was Chuba?
0: Uh, good question. He is. He's probably only five eleven. I would think
1: he's Chuba listed. At, is he's listed 6'1", at six six one. Uh, maybe. I mean, clearly, Chuba is a, a track guy. A different type of skill set. Not quite as thick as as Ollie, but. Shuba Joseph, kind of a mix in there. That's a that's a pretty good, pretty good example. But um, yeah. he he's special.
0: Yeah, I can get behind that a little bit. Yeah, he's definitely special, and I've uh, I've got no beef with your toast of the week. I, that's kind of another reason I didn't go Ollie. I figured you were going Ollie.
1: Yeah, had to go Ollie. Uh, got to give credit where credit's due. You ready for some Twitter questions?
0: Uh, no, I'm not ready for some Twitter questions. I want to hear your review of the Taylor Swift Eras movie.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, my, again, like I said, it was my wife's birthday weekend. Uh, we went to the movie uh, at Quail Springs Mall, and I was a little wondering how this would go. Like, can you stand up and sing and dance? Fortunately, it was, you know, two o'clock showing, not many people in there, and there was this group of kids behind us that as soon as it started, and they were actually boys dressed up, you know, Taylor Swift garb. I don't, I doubt they were checking their fantasy rosters as the, as the NFL games were going on, uh, but they went to the back row, and started dancing and singing so all our, i was with seven I had seven little girls with us me and my wife and her her two friends brought their kids as well so it was a great time it was awesome I mean, we went to the show in Kansas City so it was nothing we hadn't seen before but uh it was it was a great time uh I enjoyed it uh Taylor's got some good songs uh it was a, an awesome time and then we went to uh the sushi bar in Edmond my favorite restaurant place where we had our first date uh if you've never if you like sushi sushi bar in Edmond on Western is so far superior to any sushi place you go to in Oklahoma. It's not even funny. I will stand by that. Their, their salmon sashimi blows anyone else's out of the water. So if you like sushi, go there. And I ran into Brandon Whedon there. Uh, he was there with his oldest son who just won a baseball tournament. I got to think he's going to be an absolute stud at baseball like his dad was. So it's good to catch up with Brandon and, uh, so it was a great weekend, great great weekend uh, at the house with Taylor Swift, and then uh, running into Brandon was always great, and it seems like he's doing well in the, in the professional world now. So uh, it was a great weekend.
0: Can I throw a really hot food take at you?
1: Oh, no. What is it?
0: If it lives in the water, I'm out.
1: Well, you live out. in the right state for that, then.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, seafood, catfish, doesn't matter. I'm out just pretty much like crab lobster oh i love tried it i've tried it i'm out sushi i actually don't think i've ever tried sushi but i i know just from looking at it i'm out
1: uh well you're missing out and uh if you like sushi though head to the sushi bar that's a free ad because i don't want that place to ever close (laughs) it's the (laughs) best uh so no how was your weekend
0: uh good yeah a lot of golf 36 on saturday 18 on sunday so i was thoroughly exhausted but uh, one in the, it, me personally, I won in the team format on Saturday, I had a good Saturday. And then yesterday played pretty good golf. It was like 20 mile an hour North wind. I was two over through 13 Carson. I got beat six and five guy was playing with four under through 13. Uh, so yeah, sometimes you just get beat. I had to tip my cap. I lost five holes yesterday, five out of 13 holes. I lost with par in a 20 mile an hour North wind. So, Jeez. uh, when all was said and done it's Ryder cup format, 24 total points available for the weekend and my team won 12 and to 11 and so uh it was a great weekend met some new people got to play golf with some new people and had a blast and came out on top it's my third time playing in this cup first time my team has gotten the win so always feels good to, to walk away a winner
1: well it's good you won you got to you have to spray the champagne uh but i gotta ask though was was the sandbagging committee watching your match was do we, we have a sandbagging situation
0: There was no sandbagging. So, uh, you know, my opponent goes by the name of Chevy is his nickname. And he was actually giving me two pops in that match. So from the white tees, which is one up from the tips at the greens here in Oklahoma City is where I play. I'm a one handicap from the white tees, and he's a plus one from the white tees. Uh, He hits his driver a mile, and that's always pretty consistent. But yesterday, his irons were dialed in. He didn't miss any putts. He, I think he had like 10 one-putts in 13 holes. It's just, <laughs> It was one of those days where everything went his way. He told me he thinks it was his best round of the year, and he plays like three days a week. So uh, sometimes one thing you can't control in golf is how the other guy plays. And, yeah, I just got beat by a guy who played better. So uh, I tipped my cap, shook his hand, told him, great round. And, um, yeah, we play a lot of golf together. So there was yeah. – there was there were no hard feelings whatsoever.
1: Yeah, Chevy's a good dude. He he should be a plus five with as much golf as he plays, though. I mean, he plays an insane amount of golf. I want he I want should. his life.
0: He should, but he doesn't. Uh, his irons and wedges are not always what they were yesterday. If yeah. his approach game was always like it was yesterday, he'd be a plus four.
1: Yeah, Chevy's a good dude, but so you lost a good one though. So a uh, few Twitter questions here. Brian Metcalf, the DEA update for us. Game six was five hundred fifty four yards. Game six DEA is three forty seven. <laughs> It's a difference of 207 yards. Uh, Overall, DEA was at 409 yards, up to 411 after the update. So not much of an uptick on the uh, overall, but it's the first game this season going over the game and overall averages, excluding the FCS game. So more examples, Colby. You play the right quarterback. You play the right running back. You get it to your playmakers. The OSU offense finally looks like the OSU offense again.
0: I know sports fans and analysts and everything are very much prisoners of the moment, but I just, I can't think of a time where a coordinator, offensive or defensive, I mean, 99% of the fan base was was ready for him to to go, going into the bye week. And now it's like, I don't know. Let's see how the rest of the season plays out. It's <laughs> It's the last two weeks have been remarkable. Just the last 10 days, how much the narrative around Oklahoma State football has shifted as it should have, because it's, it looks different.
1: Yeah, raised on Washington Street says, What the hell happened in the South Alabama game? You can blame all of that on rotating quarterbacks and running backs, but the lines on both sides were just getting pushed around by a Sunbelt team. Now they are pushing around big 12 lines. What gives? And I think it speaks to what I mentioned earlier. Like they're not I mean, the pushing around I think is a little strong for what OSU's offensive line does. They are playing better, but I think you play better when you know the guy behind you is gonna make the right cut and, and gain yards. I think you want to you want to block for guys that you know are gonna make plays. And I think the running back makes all the difference in the world with that no it absolutely does you just having the right guys out
0: there it, it changes everything um and and we've seen it for oklahoma state on the offensive side um i'm, I'm scrolling through twitter here getting ca- caught up on the twitter questions and the first thing i see I mean, i'm scrolling through here i must have six tweets uh celebrating that oklahoma state got to 30 and i love that i was I was at the Greens. We were watching the game. I had it pulled up on my phone as we were getting ready for uh uh picking the singles matches on Saturday evening, and everybody was huddling around. We were watching it on the phone, and it's like 30, 30, they did it. <laughs> um yeah, the a impossible dreams. A lot of celebrations in my mentions for 30. And now, hey, they may never look back. They may never score less than 30 again, Carson. That's where I'm at.
1: <laughs> well, they might. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, it's it's just good to have a a respectable offense again, because we were trending towards Iowa territory, which Iowa just somehow they're getting playoff buzz now, which is just amazing to me.
0: No, they're not. Uh
1: They have the path apparently, which again, no, it speaks to the path of being in the big 10.
0: No, they don't. They don't have a path.
1: Okay. Yeah. Path. I'll agree with that. Uh Pokes forever. BPS was rocking Saturday and Gundy keeps complimenting the crowd after home games. Does OSU have the best home field advantage in the conference, especially going forward? Yeah. Uh, I would definitely make that case. I think places that come to mind would be Kansas State. That's a tough place to play. I would put them right up there near OSU, but past that, Colby, I, I would no one comes close in my opinion. I mean, Tech can get a little rowdy, but it's not really an intimidating atmosphere. The stands aren't that close. They don't. They're not as vertical as Stillwater, and just I I think OSU is probably the toughest, besides maybe Kansas State.
0: Yeah, I mean, go look at the numbers. Texan overrated place to play. Every time somebody goes in there for a night game, uh, the road team wins. Morgantown, you know, everybody acts like the travel's so difficult, but people go to Morgantown and win all the time. Uh, TCU doesn't really have it. Baylor's is is decent whenever they're up. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Iowa State can be can be good, but it's not what Oklahoma State's is. Yeah, Oklahoma State's home field advantage is uh, it's significant. And everybody who goes and is a part of that, I have only been able to make it to one this year, but I should be able to be at the rest of them going forward this season. And I'm looking forward to it because going to those games is fun. The atmosphere is incredible. Uh, and it's clear that it helps the team. They just, they very rarely lose at home now, which is a lot of fun for the home fans. And it helps you continue to sell all those games out as well.
1: Yep, no doubt. I mean, it's it's such a credit to OSU's fan base after what we witnessed uh, to start the year, what that place is still becoming and is on, on game day. It's, and I've said this too, like, I've been to a lot of stadiums around the country, uh SEC, you name it. I would put OSU's environment near the top. Particularly tailgating, it's as good as anywhere. Uh the the pre-games, the, all the environments they have around the stadium for kids is unbelievable. Uh it's it's turned into a big time big time college football environment and that's a credit to everyone involved. It's it's awesome. I'm I'm really proud as an OSU alum to see cuz like when I was in school, Colby it was they still had tailgating and, and all that, but there wasn't much there wasn't much else to do, and it's it's really evolved over the years.
0: Yeah, it has. It's incredible. Um, before you get to any more Twitter questions, I did pull something up. I'm just going to say one thing. Just read off one quick stat line, and you tell me who it belongs to. Six for fourteen for thirty seven yards. Iowa. That is their passing offense. In its entirety on Saturday, in a fifteen to six win over Wisconsin, six of fourteen uh, for thirty-seven yards. That is art, Carson. What a masterpiece from Brian Ferentz.
1: We are back to society as we know it. Right. has got five hundred yards of offense, and Iowa has like ten yards passing. It's it's beautiful. We're back to where we're supposed to be.
0: Also, a path to the playoff. What a joke. They beat Utah State 24-14, Iowa State 20-13, Western Michigan 41-10. Penn State's the only good team they've played. They lost 31-0, to had 42 passing yards in that game. Uh, and then they beat Michigan State 26-16, to Purdue 20-14, to and now Wisconsin 15-6. to Path to the playoff. Give me Dave, a break. They Dave,
1: don't... don't shoot the messenger. And he tweeted, don't shoot the messenger. But that's David Ubbin. He wrote a whole article about it.
0: Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska—that's who they've got left. What a joke! What an absolute joke!
1: Yeah, the Big Ten stinks. I mean, Big Twelve is not any good, but I mean, you're not seeing—you know, OSU get playoff buzz. You know, I mean, it's just—it's a, a joke. Um, let's see here. World uh, order has been restored. It really has. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I, I can't wait to keep making fun of Iowa more now that <laughs> OSU ha- actually has an offense. Uh, last one here. Uh, let's see here. Coleman Barker. Did Gundy seem way more engaged, and informed in his post game for KU? Kind of seemed like he might have been in the trenches calling plays. I had a few people asking me if Gundy was calling plays. Also, side question: Do we keep our tickets to Arlington now? And do we beat OU or Texas? Love the podcast. Uh, go Pokes. I don't. I guess he's saying if that's who they play in the, the Big 12 title game. So Coleman's fired up. But I I do think Mike after wins is just far more open and engaging. I think that has more to do with it. But I also feel like he's coaching his tail off, so he gets excited to talk about it. So but I do think he seems way more engaged. And that kind of goes hand in hand with Philip's question. Uh uh trashed Panda 42 is Philip. <laughs> do you think Gundy got a talking to over the bye week from Weiberg, resulting in drastic attitude changes towards NIL and play calling the past two weeks? I don't know if I would give Weiberg credit for that, but I'll give Gundy credit for that. But I do think there's been a pretty remarkable shift that you have to attribute to something happening, Uh, whether that's just Mike buckling down, uh, realizing the error of his ways. But I do think he seems pretty locked in right now.
0: Yeah. And again, I'll go back to what I said at the end of September. Some people were tweeting in and and saying, does Mike Gundy even care? And as, as many decisions, individual decisions, as I've disagreed with Mike Gundy with over the years, he cares deeply about Oklahoma State football. He's devoted his entire life to Oklahoma State football. He cares more about Oklahoma State football than me, you, or anyone listening to this podcast. It, it His entire life's work is Oklahoma State football, and I think he just realized, I, I really do, I think he realized coming out of September and going into the bye week, I am failing Oklahoma State football. I am failing the fan base. I am failing my players. I am failing my assistants. I, I truly think that, I mean, it was rock bottom. I, I think he needed to hit rock bottom and for a wake-up call that things have changed, I have to change. He talked about how he's he's working harder. He's putting in more hours than ever before. And it's because I think he realized that he broke it and he had to fix it. And, and no, I'm not thrilled with how things went in September, but I'm thrilled with the turnaround. So, yes, I do think he deserves um, a kudos for that. And real quick, before before you move on or or comment on that, Adam Lunt, uh, at AdamLunt817 on Twitter, we were talking about Colin Oliver earlier and whether he was offsides. He got a good still shot where it appears that Colin Oliver uh, is about two inches onside on that play. So shout out to Adam Lunt for getting that thrown up on Twitter.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if and if you have to Zapruder film it, I think it was the it was the right call in real time. If it, yep. you know, I mean, I, you got to be sure that he's offsides. Throw the flag. That's the bottom line. So good, good on Adam Lunt for that. And last one from Jared: uh, What's your favorite Taylor Swift song?
0: Oh, I, I don't, I don't know any of the new ones. I mean, I'd be going way back to like, um, I don't know, like the you belong with me era or something. I, okay, I yeah, Yeah, that's, I, that's I don't listen back. to any, any new music pretty much.
1: Well, I'm a bad blood guy. Uh, I actually liked that album before I met my wife and, and her kids that make me, every time we get in the car, they make me put Taylor Swift on. So I know the whole discography now, but I, bad blood's still my favorite. So there you go, Jared. That's my, that's my jam so yep
0: that was a good one um there was one other thing i just had it and then i immediately lost it that's all right we'll get to it another time
1: yeah we will uh i gotta run colby so cowboys optimism is there uh maybe maybe we'll end up being right on nine wins
0: yeah maybe we'll be back later in the week to preview west virginia everyone have a great week thanks for listening as always go pokes